Comics Monthly Monday 15. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. And Chris Honeywell. Hey, we're back. It's episode 96 of Two True Freaks. And I'm 96. Here. Can you believe it? Yeah, I know. We're, we're creeping up up towards those triple digits. Holy it's, shit. That's awesome. And, it's uh, not that I didn't think that we'd never make it here. It's just pretty pretty awesome. You know what I mean? To, to finally be creeping up on, on the big 100, it's, that's just, I don't know, that's pretty, I, I still think that's pretty cool. Does it make us I, more legitimate, do you think? <laughs> I don't know about legitimate, but it just, well, I guess to a small degree, because to me it's like, We stuck know, to it, it long it, enough, I guess, to yeah. put out 100 yeah. shows on a regular schedule. Should we get a prize that, for that I, or something? I think Aren't that's... They- I think that's our biggest achievement right there is it's not even so much 100 episodes. It's 100 episodes on time. I mean, except for a couple little flukes here and there, you know, that just things that couldn't be avoided. Like, what what was it? We ran out of bandwidth one time yeah, or something we, like we, that. Yeah, we actually could not post it up. We had it on time, but we just couldn't post it up. That sort of right. technical glitches. Yeah. I mean, but other than that sort of thing... I mean, it's never been a time where we were just like, ah, fuck it, I don't feel like putting out a show this yeah, week, no. or, you know, one of us got, you know, so sick we couldn't do it, or, or we it's, forgot, or, you know, we went on vacation. We have discipline. Right, right. Because and uh, discipline. I, I think that's our biggest thing, because, you know, there's a lot of other, other shows out there that have a lot more shows than us, you know, but that may just be because they've been around for five years or something slackers, like that. man. Slackers. <laughs> I'm not saying they're slackers. I'm just saying. No, I am saying they're slackers. That. Well, you, all right. Well, you're saying it. Send your hate mail to. But no, I'm just saying that, you know. Why do they? They I, never send it to me. That's a funny thing. <laughs> I know. I always say that. Too. I always say, send your hate mail to Chris Honeywell at, and, and I'm the one that gets it. Yeah. They're like, we love Chris. He's great. That's Scott. Uh, what a fucking asshole. You yeah. Know? Whatever. I, I'm, I'm just going to get on the show. I'm going to put out a whole list of all our fans whose mothers I've had sex with. And <laughs> <laughs> somebody's going to burn down your house, you know, and <sighs> buy me. I'll, I'll, I'll get a subway gift certificate or something. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um. It's going to be kind of a, a weird little beginning to this. We got, I've, I'm in a sort of weird, I, I don't want to call it situation, but I moved my comic slash podcasting room and 
I mean, I, I'm just going to say this. this is a new TV show. A lot of people tell me it's already on the air. It's called um, Hoarders. It's a reality yes. show. Yeah, All right. my wife's been watching that thing. Well, yeah, if your wife, was... now that your wife's seen that show, if she ever walked into our house, she'd go, ah ha ha Because <laughs> I watch <laughs> previews of that show, and I'm like, oh, no. That's my house. Except, you well, know she, what? she tried to compare me to one of those people on that show. I said, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Bring her I over to our house you... to visit, and you'll be, she'll be just like, she'll, you'll be driving away, and she's like, she'll be just like, hold on to me and never let go. <laughs> but I mean, you—you've been here. You've been to my house. You've been in the Scott Cave. I mean, you know me, Chris. The Scott Cave am is I, the most am... orderly part of your entire exact. house. You got two Thank kids, you. man. For a house with Thank two you. kids, your house is in really great shape. But you got two kids. You know, there's only so much. Am I not the most anal retentive motherfucker you ever met about his comics and books? Yes. I mean, my books and my video games and my my comics. Everything. Yes. Is is alphabetized and organized and I'm super in a neat pile. You know, so she's like, you're just like those people on that show. You can't get rid of any of your comics or your books or any of your, you, you hoard everything. I said, that may be true, but I can guarantee you that you're never going to move well, my comic boxes and find like a mummified cat. Like they're doing <laughs> on this show. <laughs> that won't happen at our house either. Maybe a mouse or two, but, um, <laughs> you know, I you know, actually though, you have had a lot of your stuff come and go, and you know you've you've sold huge amounts of comic books, and you know, I mean at least my house it's not like bundles of newspapers and pieces of right. of wire and weird shit like that, and like laundry empty laundry soap boxes and shit like that. It's it's actually cool shit, you know. It's books and and right pop culture items and weird things that I find, you know, I have weird Bible things that I find really disturbing, you know, that I've collected just because I love things that you hold in your hand and you read and you go, holy shit, I can't believe this exists, you know? Well, they're collectibles and it, yeah. it may be, I will, I will go so far as to agree that it may be a sickness to a certain degree when you cannot let go of things. I, I'll go that far. However, my things are collectible. You know, they're 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 comics and books and thing. You know, movies and video games, things like that. When I get to the point where I can't part with a Kleenex that I've blown my nose into <laughs> for some sentimental Howard reason, Hughes style, then yeah. I'm sick. Then, yes, you'd need to drive yeah. me to the fucking doctor or out into a field and well, leave me or something. You see, you know, that's but... the thing is, I, I like a quiet, I like going out and finding stuff and, and having it, but I have no qualms of getting rid of it either, you know. Now, <laughs> something from my childhood or some neat Star Wars thing, that's another story. But, you know, that's like I'm building my Star Wars collection or something that I've always wanted and I got it. But if I find something neat, I'll hold on to it for a little while. And if it's so neat that I can't part with it, it becomes, you know, it gains that special status in my collection. And if not, it's gone. But anyway, I had two rooms that were just literally piled with junk. And one room was piled with junk, except it had a desk with a computer on it. And that's where I was doing all my podcasting work and I've been, I've been working a little more than I usually do and saving some money and living cheap. And I'm, and I've just been thinking we've been getting more and more listeners with the podcast and 
you just got rid of the old the the clunkomatic mic and you know <laughs> and we're just skirting that edge you know we're using up every little drippy drop of our bandwidth you know and so we can't go with super high quality sound so i've been thinking you know i want to get like a good set of microphones so we sound a little better for our listeners listeners and you know sort of set set myself up in a studio you know or a place where i go to make stuff whether it be videos or podcasts or you know or reading the comics or prepping for the podcast and have all my media and comics in the same place so i've been on a 3 day massive brain melting tetris thing to the point of where the big the big tipping point was moving my huge heavy desk from one room into the other which just was down a hallway up on the upstairs second floor of our house but the the act of clearing a path took forever because both rooms were full so i was sort of sorting and shuffling at the same time and then all of a sudden there it was everything got moved i'm set up in the other room it's not neat and clean but after we get done tonight i'm gonna do more there's still weeks of organizing to go but now i have a little studio and it's just another step in our world domination plot and you know so <laughs> that's that's what's sort of going on with that the only other thing i had to talk about was way off topic if you don't mind indulging me for a couple minutes but i think it might be something that people uh may be interested in if Run it's with it. true uh-huh but it, this is coming from all sorts of legitimate science sources. It's not coming from like Alex Jones or conspiracy theory websites or whatever. It's not really a conspiracy theory. It's just something, something that we all knew would happen pretty much, but now it's happening. And here's the the headline. I've got the article pulled up in ahead of me. Video scenes pulled from people's thoughts. Video scenes pulled from people's thoughts. Video plugged into somebody's thoughts and pulled out not only that but they did it by using youtube and i've been waiting because i know that they've made stuff that they you know they plug in your head and you can make a triangle or you can make red or they can say oh you're thinking of the color red and i know and here's another thing when when i told my roommate about this article he he pointed me down the road and i've got another article that i pulled out here that's uh, that the japanese have built robots that are hooked up to somebody who's wired up while they're dreaming and it reads what electrical impulses are going to their body so the robot acts out what the person's doing in their dream while they're dreaming that's that's freaky yeah it's like an interpretive dance of your dream being ha- happening to you know and the the robot has eyes it go you know so you can see which way it's looking and it'll turn its head and it'll walk and you know you'll see somebody sleeping with this robot doing that's pretty freaky but this what they basically did i don't know if i should read it or i'll just i'll just paraphrase it what basically what they did is they fed what was it 200 days worth of youtube internet clips and to see um what i i now what i don't understand okay the software was used to monitor two patients' brains as they watched film. Okay, so they basically they played people 200 days worth of videos and monitored 
analyzed the video at the same time that they analyzed their brains and figured out which parts of the brains, which part, you know, how the brain, they were basically busting the language between the brain and a visual image and tracking it. So then after they got that, the computer could take the two, put them together. And when somebody was watching video, you could plug into their brain and pull it up on another video screen, which they said, uh, it was, um, it was kind of blurry. Remarkably, the computer program was able to display continuous footage of the films they were watching, albeit with blurred images. For example, in one scene which featured Steve Martin wearing a white shirt, the software recreated his shape and torso, but missed other details like his facial features. Some scenes decode better than others. We can decode talking heads really well, but a camera panning quickly across the screen confuses the algorithm. Okay, whatever. That's the technical stuff to it, but... Wow. Holy shit. That is... <laughs> that's mind-blowing. The, 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 the implications of what this is... Not just the technology of being able to, to decode what someone's brain is seeing, but just the fact that that language is being cracked because once that language is cracked you're going to be able to go both ways which means basically virtual you know true virtual reality holodeck style shit it would be sort of interior holodeck style stuff right you could right just project something you know like that movie brainstorm the natalie wood Mm -hmm. movie so that's well, you know, you you mentioned that today because you posted something up on the forum about brainstorm. But you know, now that you say that and and you talk about the, you know, the the hollow deck in your mind kind of thing, it actually puts me more in mind of uh, of Total Recall, right? You know, where where you know you know, not only could they record your your thoughts and feelings and all that, like in Brainstorm, that was the, you know the whole deal with that movie was, you know, people's actual thoughts were being you know recorded on on like tape to you know for playback later but you know this other idea that not only could they extract what's in your mind and record it but actually implant things in if that door swings both ways then we could we could very well be looking at a future where you know people could could have you know uh total recall type scenarios in their mind sure. and that that's both cool and like really scary because i mean that could <laughs> be the like ultimate, the ultimate tv <laughs> right. tranquilizer well, it's the, it style thing. ultimate drug i mean yeah. imagine people just tuning into that and tuning the fuck out you know well, here's the thing I mean, if you, and this is where you get into philip k dick territory is what would you know at that point people would start to figure what's the difference <laughs> You know, really, really, what's the difference if you're recreating reality so much? And that goes into the, you know, the Matrix and and stuff like, you know, media like that. But we're actually hitting that point to where we're going to have to ask those questions. And I'm very excited because the first thing I thought is... If we can find a way to record people's dreams, I've been waiting for that for years. Oh my God! The the I think society would take some sort of exponential leap if we could ju- if we could record and play back our dreams. Now horrible things would happen with that too, 
and you know you'd have psychiatrists trying to talk their patients into you know come into therapy and you bring your tape of the dreams from the night before and we'll go over them and all that all that shit but i think just to the individual person being able to play back your dreams i think that would really like fundamentally change people psychologically so i'd be really excited about that and then there's things like (laughs) you'd have people like hey i was at a party at jessica alba's house man and i fucking grabbed this tape and dude it's all her dreams and dude you would believe the shit in there and you know all of a sudden (laughs) you know you're going on the internet and you can see like could you imagine that you know seeing the the, Fuck sex tapes, man. Who who would care about celebrity sex tapes? Right. They they would just be like Sesame Street now. It'd be like celebrity dream tapes. It would, and then there would be celebrities. I could see like Mel Gibson being like, "I had a great dream." And then all the like great dir- directors would well, you're, even you're bother talking making just movies. About dreams. I mean, you're talking just dreams. I mean, imagine. All right, remember that one? Holy like shit! Some, Steven uh, Spielberg wouldn't even have to hire a crew. He could just sit back in his armchair and start belting out movies. And he could yeah. cast it with young Harrison Ford. Fuck it, man. Hell, well, I mean, he could... You know, there was, there was could, that... Uh, I think he was a rap star a couple of years ago that got in that all, all that trouble because he, he had sex with, what was it, like a 14, 15-year-old yeah. girl or something like that. Now, imagine a tape being out there where you could actually live that, Oh, you know? my God, the and implications. Up on the, <laughs> the implications. Yeah. yeah. I think technically, if that happened, I think legally you would have very good basis to, to not only prosecute that person as like a pedophile, like having having underage porn on their computer but you could probably do them as an active pedophile as right. actually you know having committed an act uh, i i think you could almost certainly say you'd have a strong argument to do mm-hmm. that so yeah oh crazy all sorts of crazy stuff could could happen from this and then there would be celebrities Sellings, you know, it would be like, hey, you know, your favorite, every porn star would be making their own thing because they'd be rich, rich. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, forget about like phone sex and stuff like that and people IMing each other and stuff. People just be like plugging into each other's brains. Well, then I could also see, I could see the, (laughs) the, the, the downside being much greater and much broader than than the upside in a lot of ways and that, that makes me sad but you know like right now you go on youtube and you got these these fucking idiots on there you know with their owl my balls style videos <laughs> right you know, some, right you know you got some some skateboarder trying to go down you know the railing in front of some corporate headquarters somewhere and wipes out and you know, denuts himself. Yeah. Now imagine that same thing is up on YouTube, but you live it. You know, you you. It would are, be like a rickroll. It would be a, like a rickroll. It'd be like have sex with your favorite porn star, and the next thing you know, you're getting your balls caved in by a fucking handrail. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I could see. I could really see that. You know, and so yeah, it's it's. I, I like the idea because I've always liked the yep. idea, but at the same rate, you know, there's, there, you know, because the the upside of it is there's some awesome, you know, imagine I've always for, looked at it as an eventuality, so, you know. Oh, yeah. Like it or dislike it, 
it's here now. It's it's we're seeing the the early early first buds of of all that stuff. It's right. pretty exciting. I think it is exciting, but it's also it's it's pretty scary too. And I I wonder which which is greater, the the scary or the cool, you know? I really do. Oh my god, can you believe fan edits will go out of business and like everybody will remake <laughs> the 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 uh Episode one through three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody will remake the original ones with them as Han Solo, you know. It'll be awesome. <laughs> or Princess Leia, depending on who's who's doing it, but you know, or Luke Skywalker, but I don't know. I'll play Greedo. It would be pretty, it would be pretty awesome, I'll tell you what. I tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> what else we got? I don't know. Did you did, did did you have anything you wanted to talk about there? I just yeah, I, I just had a, a minor accomplishment this week. I I finished the story mode portion of uh, of a video game I got for Christmas, and you know I don't hear anybody talking about this game or or even this series of games, but uh-huh. I have loved both games, but this second one. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go right out there on a limb and say I think this is one of the greatest video games I ever played. I just I, I love it and I'm addicted to it. It's, Does it involve uh, Saint- bloodshed? Oh yes. <laughs> okay. I knew it's it. called Saints Row Two, and I'm telling you, man, this game is awesome. I, I I wonder if a lot of people that that didn't play it or whatever, if maybe they just chalked it up to another one of those. Grand Theft Auto ripoffs, right, right? But basically, it's not so much a ripoff is that they they took the same premise, you know, the same basic model, and they just uh, they plussed it. They made it so much cooler. I mean, it's I think it's a great great game. It's in a lot of ways, it's like uh, it's like Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. But just to the nth level. I mean, it just takes that basic model and just really runs with it. And goddamn, I had a blast playing this game. It's it's a lot of fun. It's super violent, but all the stuff that you get to do in it, you know, you get to you get to one, drive. Was the one before huh? that? Was that the one we were playing when I was up there, where where I could drive around in the Mack truck and cause all kinds of havoc and. Yep. We were sort of up on the roof, like, shooting down helico- police helicopters. Was that, like, an earlier <laughs> yeah. version of this one or something? Yeah, that was the one before this. There's, there's So okay. far, there's been two Saints Row, and then there's this new one, Saints Row 2. Now, as much fun as we had with Saints Row, that that's the one that you and I played, this one is, is even head and shoulders above that one. The The world is, is a little more expanded. But really, it's the abilities. There's a lot more stuff you get to do in this one. For you know, in the first one, you basically you got cars and trucks of every size and shape that you could drive around, and you got all kinds of weapons and stuff. But in this one, there's a lot more interactive stuff that you can destroy or throw or smash or, or use as a weapon or whatever. You get cars, trucks, tanks, so. you know, big rigs, everything. Plus, there's motorcycles. Plus, there's aircraft in this one, so you can you know you can fly anything from like a like a Lear jet to a like a bi wing plane to what what I liked. My favorite thing was very early in the game, 
um, I realized that you could actually, if you if you were really good and really clever, you could go to police headquarters with a helicopter, land up there, and just hang out and wait, and eventually a police-style um, armed helicopter would eventually materialize. And when you stole that thing, your, your, your wanted level would immediately go max. So you were a hunted man. But if you made it, you know, if you could really fly fast and, and dodge fire and make it back to your headquarters and land on the helipad on top of your headquarters fast enough and save, then you actually could add the attack helicopter into your arsenal. <laughs> and by doing that and succeeding at that, <laughs> it helped me a lot because one of the cool things in the games is, you know, you take it's a lot like, you know, Grand Theft Auto, you take over territories and stuff. And every once in a while, you'll get a call on your cell phone that'll tell you, hey, you know, one of your territories is, is under attack. Basically, the old gangs coming back to try to reclaim the territory. Well, they're expecting you to, like, drive there maybe with some of your homies and try to take them out on foot or in a car. But when you show up with a fucking attack helicopter, there's no defense against that. So these guys are, you know, they're, they're a bunch of gangbangers on the ground in, in cars and stuff armed with, you know, at most maybe they're armed with like AK-47s. You fly in there and you've got a fucking minigun strapped to the front of your helicopter. Plus you can fire uh, seeker missiles. <laughs> Shit, man. They're, they're, they can't defend against that. It's awesome. It's really, really awesome. It's, <laughs> and there's all kinds of little hidden bonuses and hidden things you can do. But probably to me, the, the coolest, the number one coolest thing in that entire game is one of my greatest unfulfilled fantasies in life. And this is going to make me sound like a total psychopath, but I swear I've always wanted to do this. I have always, always wanted to drive a car through a shopping mall. I've always wanted to do that. Was it ever since you watched uh, the Blues Brothers or something? I think it was actually – that may be part of it, but I think it actually goes back further than that. I think the first time as a kid I ever went to a mall and saw a car on display in a mall, I thought, how much fun would it be to drive like hell through a, through a shopping mall? My I don't shopping know what mall it is. fantasies always involve chainsaws, but go on. <laughs> so there's actually a level in this, and it took me a while to find it, but there's actually a shopping mall in this game. So one day I, I went to the shopping mall just to check out what it was like. And I'm walking around, and the, the graphics are beautiful. I mean, this is a three, you know, Xbox 360 game, so the graphics are absolutely gorgeous. And I'm walking around, and they really did a great job of recreating a real shopping mall. It actually feels a lot like the Carousel Mall in Syracuse to me. And, you know, there's lots of people around, and they all say really funny shit. The, the pedestrians are hilarious in this game. They've all got little one-liners and stuff that's really funny. And I'm walking around, I'm thinking it's really cool, but there's not very many places to shop, and there's not much to do. And about the time I'm thinking, well, this is cool, but it's not that great, suddenly I see on display behind this, like, like uh, chained-off area is a, is, I forget what they call it in the game, but it's basically, it's a Ferrari uh-huh. sitting in the middle of the mall on uh-huh. display, and I, oh, no fucking, no fucking way. So I go over, I jump over the little barrier, I get in the car, sure enough it runs. It's 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 a working sure. thing. And, <laughs> and I went crazy. I'm no. driving around, I'm running over like, you know, potted plants and 
you know, displays and knocking shit over and running over pedestrians and all this shit. And what's cool is if your wanted level goes up while you're in the mall, then instead of the police coming to chase you, mall security comes. And they're oh. all these fat slobs on, you get like, four-wheelers. You get to run them over and fuck with them and stuff. And then uh, the other cool <laughs> thing I found out about this game, that, that this is where it has Grand Theft Auto beat all to hell, is you can actually grab people. You can grab them and use them as, like, human shields, like in a firefight or something. But you can also, like, grab them by, like, the, you know, by the seat of their pants and by the scruff of the neck and heave them. Give them the bums rush. So, yeah. So I started doing that in the mall. I would go up to, like, the top floor of the mall and just heave them off <laughs> off the balcony and shit. Sure, and why not? you get points for this stuff. <laughs> so, like, so, like, these big, fat security guys would come to try to stop me and stuff, and i just, you know, dodge bullets as best I could, get up on them and grab them and just, like, heave them over the balcony and stuff. It sounds sadistic, but I'm telling you, it's such a fun game. It's so such stress relief, and it was just a hell of a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. It's not that expensive a game. I mean, I, I got mine on the cheap for... I just think it was like seventeen ninety nine or something like that. I mean, for you know, it, it's really come down in price. It's been out for a while, but uh, like I say, I don't hear anybody talking about this game, and I just thought it was great. I, oh, another thing, this this is the last thing about it, but I thought you'd get a kick out of this. Um, there's parts of the of the game where you'll find arcade machines, like at the college, and I think the guy can actually play it. You know, the character that you play can actually play it in his own uh, in his own headquarters. There's a part where you go to like a TV or an arcade machine and you tell it yes that you want to play and you can play a mini game that's within the game called Zombie Uprising. And it's it doesn't go to like arcade you know, it doesn't go to any different graphics or whatever. It's still the you know the, the awesome three sixty graphics. But you but suddenly just killing become, zombies? Yeah, you become a character, and there's several other survivors with you. There's, I think there's five or six other people, and you're in this, you're like trapped in a city, you know, full of zombies. And it's it's like an old-style arcade game in the sense of there is no end to it. You just, you, you live for as long as you can live. It's basically how long can right. you survive. Oh, I would play that all a- the time. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's it's really addictive because, you know, every time you get killed, you're like, oh, I could do better. And you'll go back in, and the next thing you know, you've played for like six hours just this little mini game. Right. But it's cool. I mean, you know, there's all these other zombie video games that are out there, but this is really, to me, how a zombie game ultimately should feel because you start out, there's a, there's a small group of people, you have a limited amount of weapons. You've got like a couple of guns... A couple like throwable things, like uh, like maybe some like pipe bombs or uh, grenades or something. Right. You've got a chainsaw. You've got a couple. But once they're gone, they're gone. I mean, once once you run out of weapons, you are fucked. Then you've got nothing but like your fists and your feet. And maybe every once in a while you'll find like maybe a baseball bat on the ground or something like that. But you know, after a certain amount of time, you're out of ammo. You're out of like you know, serious assault weapons like a chainsaw or whatever, and you've just got to rely on your on your wits and your skill and try not to get boxed into corners or, or, or overrun or whatever. Man, it's great. I mean it'll get your blood pumping because you're 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 trapped in a very small area, so it's easy to get 
boxed in no matter right. how hard you try to stay out of corners and stuff. It, it's a lot of fun. And I mean, it's, it's good it's, preparation. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But, I mean, that game alone, the, that mini game within the game is worth the, the cost of this game. So, yeah, it's, it's a hell of a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. Saints Row 2, man, check it out. It's cool. I got to get me a uh, Xbox 360, apparently. Yeah, I tell you, anybody who's on the fence about whether to get, you know, the, the next generation of, of platforms, because you know, I know a lot of people are, you know, getting the Wii's or wanting to get a Wii or whatever. I, I'm serious. If you don't have a, a 360, screw the Wii, man. Go with the go with the 360. Because I've got both, and I, I got to tell you, I, I'm super unimpressed with the Wii. I, I think I've the, played the thing one time since we bought. It. I just don't think that much of it. I think right. it's kind of the Wii has to come. The, the Wii has to get. There has to be the next generation of Wii because there's some stuff that works really well with that new controller. And mm-hmm. and for but you know like I played the Force Unleashed and then I started reading about Force Unleashed on Wii and everybody was saying like well it's neat because you get to use the other controllers but there's like not as much processing power so it's not as it doesn't work as well as like on the X the Xbox 360 is where you really get to play the game or right. a, a PlayStation 3 the ones with the full processing so. The Wii will catch right. up with that, and the stuff like playing tennis on the Wii is phenomenal. As someone who mm-hmm. used to really play tennis, and certain games like the the Mario Super Mario Galaxy, I think it was, was great. Mm-hmm. I played that game almost all the way through, which I rarely do with video games, but it was great. And the controllers, you know, they really—it's Mario, so it's top of the line. The controllers worked really well it came up with different things for you to do with the controller in different parts all of a sudden you'd have to use it in a different way and it was really fun but for the most part just regular the regular joe video games eh, yeah they don't work out as well on the wii and and i wish i'd had a have a playstation 3 or a xbox i will eventually they'll start showing up at rummage shales eventually and that's when i'll get them and I'm I in no hurry. Very... I haven't played a video game on a game system in months. So Yeah, see, I, I don't play very many. The Saints Row is the first one I've played w- with any great regularity in a long time. And it's definitely the first game I've beaten in a long time. Because I didn't even beat the first one. I, I got stuck on one level and got so tired of repeating it that I was finally like, eh, you know, I'll just... The nice yeah. thing about that game though is that you don't really have to play the you know even this saints row 2 you don't have to play the missions at all if you yeah you can just go and be chaotic yeah if you just want to go raise hell you can do that if you just want to drive sometimes i i seriously i like to put my headphones on and like listen to a podcast or some music or something and just drive that to me is fun you know, whether you're racing or whether you're just tooling around the city running over pedestrians or mailboxes or whatever the hell. I think that's fun. Um, you can fly in this one. I so like, I mean, you cons- I like that you around. consider that driving. I'm going to go out for a, a drive. <laughs> then again, I've been on a few drives with you too, so there you go. <laughs> well, like I say, it's great stress relief because driving in real life is one of the most stressful things I do because it... I, I get so aggravated with people, you know. So being able to drive in that game where you can just run right through red lights and fucking broad, you know, broadside somebody that pulls out in front of you, it's just, oh, it's therapeutic, I'm telling you. I love it. I absolutely love it. What I really like is getting 
some ginormous vehicle, you know, like a like a Humvee or a, or a you know, like a 18 wheeler and yeah. just cruising around until some moron pulls out in front of me. Cause that, that's another <laughs> one of my great unfulfilled ambitions in life is to do that in real life. I would love to do that in real life. Have, <laughs> have some great big, you know, monster type. Yeah. You know, my, ultimately my ideal vehicle would be a double bladed snowplow. Oh, I think just drive around everywhere I go waiting for some asshole to pull out in front of me so I can just, fling their ass right off the road because i hate that i hate when people pull right out in front of me like they they're just expecting you to stop well he'll stop in time you know he'll slow down for me because i'm fucking important the new I'd tanks love to be the guy that just goes nope not gonna do it pal the new tanks are me. so fast and maneuverable that i would have to say i'd have to go for one of the newer for a nice state-of-the-art tank equipped for <laughs> you know Iraq or something like that. I think that would be my choice of like if I was going to go on a rampage because you could just. Although a snowplow is good because a double-bladed snowplow will push things away from you, so you could continue. You could probably continue a little longer with your double because you could just sort of plow your way out of wherever you were. Right. <laughs> but a tank, you can sort of roll. You can roll right over. You know, you roll right up a you know, street lamp until you get so high and then it'll just collapse under you and you just keep going and over cars and whatever. Mm-hmm. I would kill a lot more people with the tank, I think. And, you know, <laughs> even without using the weaponry on it, you'd be you'd be shoving a lot of pe- You'd be causing more, like, chip-style rollovers and stuff where I would just be crushing. And they wouldn't be lucky like Chief O'Hara on the old Batman TV show and, like, when their car gets crushed by a tank, they just happen to be over an open manhole and drop <laughs> below. You know, it wouldn't be anything God, like that. God, I remember that, that one. <laughs> oh, man. Every How time could I you think forget? I remember anything about that show, you remind me of something. <laughs> and I remember. I remember. The Adventures of Batman with Robin Boy Wonder. Batman and Robin, dynamic duo against crime and corruption, whose real identity is millionaire philanthropist Bruce Wayne and his young ward Dick Grayson are known only to Alfred, the faithful butler. Ever alert, they respond swiftly to a signal from the police, and moments later, from the secret bat cave deep beneath Wayne Manor, they roar out to protect life, limb, and property as Batman and Robin, cape crime fighters. Batman and Robin, scourge of Gotham City's kooky criminals. The Joker, clown prince of crime. The Penguin, pudgy purveyor of perfidy. And the cool, cruel Mr. Freeze. Watch out, villains. Here come Batman and Robin. The Saga of the Swamp Thing. All right. All right, we're back, and it's The Saga of the Swamp Thing, number 10. And uh, this one's from February 1983. 60 cents cover price. And uh, we've got a a cover by uh, Tom Yates. And it doesn't say who inked it or whatever, so I'm assuming it's all Tom Yates. And uh, the interior arts is Yates and Total Bond. And uh, Martin Pascal, again, is the writer. 
So it's pretty much your your general team. And okay, uh, if you remember last month, we had quite a twisted and lengthy story, and uh, it's no different this month. Um, except <laughs> there's maybe three or four flashbacks in this, so that takes out a little bit of a little bit of where they can throw in 10 story elements. So there's probably maybe 30 story elements less in this episode. Still, chock full of them. So here we go. Okay. Okay, Milton Grossman's uh, zapping Alec Holland with his psychic powers, and uh, the Swamp Thing's sort of growing these vines which are choking Dennis and Liz and Paul Feldner, the producer guy, who's been healed from his horrible burns that Casey gave him by Harry Kay at a secret government clinic. So... Kay's, while this is happening, Kay's explaining that, you know, his cause has always been to kill Karen or Casey, and he's been, you know, he's got some other operatives with him who are going to help him, but he wants Alex and his crew to help too, because, you know, Alex knows so much about Casey because he spent so much time with her, and Paul Feldman, she thought he was the key master or the gatekeeper or whatever so he he spent a lot of time with him too and um he's and he's also was good friends with dennis before and i don't know what's up with liz she's hot or something so she can come along too they notice as uh as holland's getting um zapped and um that grossman who's a mutant is sort of warping and distorting and harry k explains that this mutant has certain inhibiting factors in him that if he uses his powers too much it'll mutate him and horribly just disfigure him so you know obviously this is such an important cause that this guy's willing to disfigure his body that Alec Holland thinks okay maybe there's something to this and you know Harry Kay saying look I'm not all that you think that I am you know because they'd found his file saying he was a horrible Nazi doctor so uh, so they agree that they're going to go to Germany with Harry Kay to track Casey down and destroy her. So meanwhile at Sunderland, uh, Mr. Sunderland, you know, General Sunderland and Grasp are uh, tracking down our heroes. And Grasp is, you know, he's, he's ordered to take out Harry Kay because Harry Kay's starting to act you know, on his own desires rather than the Sunderland's desires and uh, also take out Holland who they've wanted to kill from the beginning for some unknown reason and Harry Kay actually warned Alec that, that you know, shadowy forces wanted him dead so meanwhile in Germany um, after Harry Kay explains that he's not who he seems you know, Feldner all of a sudden he remembers all these things that he experienced when he was with Casey and what she told him was going to happen. And uh, she's some sort of harbinger of the Antichrist who will finish the work that the Nazis started and destroy this time instead of killing all the Jews, they're going to kill everybody and it's just going to be hell on earth. And, you know, that general Antichrist, end of the world sort of story. So they go to, they they track down Casey to Dachau, the infamous uh, concentration camp, where they find her, like, sucking the last of the life from the operative guy that Kay left with her. So this other woman sort of runs at her, and she blasts her and literally strips the flesh off of the woman. And uh, then 
spews fire all over Alec Holland and dries out a lot of his, you know, vital swamp juices. I think he calls it a swamp water. She, she pretty much vaporized my swamp water. So then, um, all of a sudden she restores Dachau back to full horror concentration camp mode with Nazis running around doing experiments and filing people in the gas chambers and just all sorts of horrible things and Harry Kay freaks out and in the middle of all this um, Karen revives the spirit of Ernst von Rundstedt Hitler's occult sort of go-to guy and um, his spirit or you know, he literally like comes out of a, a like toilet drain sort of thing from hell and and tells her, you know, that she needs a stupid amulet to realize her her plan. The amulet that they stole from me and then she flushes back down to to hell or wherever that you know, Hitler's <laughs> right hand men go. And uh so she shuts down the camp and and goes looking for this this amulet. Now Dennis at, at this point's all pissed off at Harry Kay and and is bitching him out, you know, you Nazi and you, what what the hell's going on? And and Harry Kay's like, I'm not a Nazi, and he's like, How can you prove to me that you're not a Nazi? And he rip ta da, you know, he rips open his shirt and he's on his arm is a Dachau prisoner tattoo. So next. That's the end of this episode. Yes, exactly. Next is the Night of the Golem. And for you Lord of the Rings fan, no, it's not Gollum. It's the <laughs> Golem. The only, as far as I know, besides Adolf Hitler, Jewish monster in the world is the Golem. So we're going to get to see a very... It sounds like a very... um. Oh, what would you call it? Niche <laughs> type sort of monster. Sort of. I, I don't know. There's 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 other uh, golems in the in the DC universe though. Superman fought something called I think it was called the Galactic Golem. If I remember right, it was a big purple looking dude with stars in him and shit. Oh. And then uh, I think not too long ago there was a new character. Or at least I think it was a new character called the Golem, but I can't remember what the hell. Issue that was it a golem or a golem? Golem, golem, whatever. I don't know. I don't care to be honest with you. <laughs> I See, liked that, this issue. Don't get me wrong. I, I I did enjoy it a little bit more than last time around. Yeah. But uh, but this is where reading this as a kid, this is where this story started to lose me because yeah. at this point, you you finally realize they really are going. You know, because I remember reading this as a kid and going. And, and kind of being in denial about Casey. I kept thinking, no, they're not really going there. She's not really evil. Something's going on. She's being used. She's being manipulated. Some Something was going on. But this issue finally put the nail in that coffin that, that they really were going there. That, that, that yeah, they had this taken is the one where she actually – Yeah, this is the one where yeah. she actually twirls her mustache and goes, Mwahaha, I kill you all. Right. You fools for trusting me and thinking I was a little girl, you know. So, yes, that's true. Well, she only says that to Alec Holland. He's the only one who really, like, you know, thought thought that she was an innocent little kid, I guess, to any, right. any point. But um, I don't know. With this, you know, I think it's time has, has taken its toll on this. Because when it came out, I think 
you know, honestly, he was Pasco was really trying to be edgy and you know, really try you know trying to do something new and and he and he was to some extent, but it's just that style of that time is so wordy and and you know I can see where he's going with it, but it just doesn't work out to having a flow to it. You know, it just uh, it doesn't have a flow. It's a series of of illustrated pieces of information. You know, for the most part, right. That, yeah, that's the problem with this, is it's it's not that it's particularly bad. It's that I, I even think, I think his overall idea and what he's trying to do is okay. But like you say, it's not presented in such a manner that, that it flows yeah. naturally or, or even interestingly. Because you know? I'm, I'm okay with the story. I'm okay with all the characters. I think all the characters have... You know, I think he's using a lot of Stephen King sort of ideas. I think maybe he'd oh, rather yeah. Stephen King. But I, as a matter of fact, there's one part on the plane where, you know, the the guy who looks like Rondo Hatton is hands his magazine back to the stewardess, and it's a issue of Creepshow. I have comics. that. The, the the magazine he's reading, the Creepshow that he's reading, it, that actually exists. That, oh, that's really? Real? Yeah, it was a one shot. I can't tell you the publisher on it, but yeah, it does look exactly like that. The cover is where that kind of um, Crypt Keeper looking dude is looking in the window. Because see where his thumb is in that picture? Yeah. That's, that's the Crypt Keeper looking dude. And he's looking in that kid's bedroom window as the kid is sitting on his bed reading an issue of Creep Show. Right, and sort of evilly laughing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember so that. that. Really I remember, it was like it was, a trade paperback type of thing. It was like a big yeah. trade. It was still comic book, but it was it, bigger it was and the it had size a glossy of, cover. Yeah, it was It was like the size of uh, one of those like uh, Marvel comic super special type things. Yeah. You know, it was like, like that size, but it did have like the stiffer glossy cover on it and everything. It, it was the adaptation of the film is what it was. It, it's a good book, though. And it had Bernie Wrights and art in it. Maybe that's why yes. they—that's why they were uh, plugging it in here. You know, paying attention yep. to it. But um, co-creator of Swamp Thing, yeah. So all these characters are. Uh, there's a lot of compelling things going on, and I like that they're. You know, instead of going, you know, going for the universal variations on the universal mo- monsters or any of the sort of Lovecraftian um, monsters of Arcane's day he was like okay we'll go for the golem but we'll set up a whole you know because they used to make a lot of golem movies but that was in the early days of mostly silent movies and then it sort of waned in popularity but there was a time when golem movies were coming out like frankenstein movies before frankenstein movies and um right and he was like oh well maybe you know i'll update this and i'll bring the nazi you know nazis into it and it's sort of got this inglorious bastards group of ass-kicking Jewish fighters, you know, who are like, we're going to kill the Antichrist before he can set up the new Nazi regime. And it's all very interesting, you know. But it's all just surrounded. It reminds me almost of those classic comics illustrated where it's just like text. And the and the and and another shame of this is the art in this is awesome. I love Tom Yates' art. And it's awesome in here. And it doesn't really get a chance to shine because it's got to work around all this text. Right. 
a common <laughs> a common problem with with the swamp thing. And then the Phantom Stranger. I have a confession to make. You didn't even read I didn't, it. I didn't even read it. No, I didn't. Wow. A ballsy move. I read it. I didn't want to read it. You want to know what happens? Sure. It turns out that these gargoyles are really mutant people who in the early days, you know, every once in a while, one of them would be born to two humans and they'd get run out of town and burned at the stake. And they eventually heard of America. So they came to America because they heard it was more understanding here. But what they really would do is they got this sort of group together and they would find a church and they would adapt it as their home. And then they would sit like decorations. And I guess their special superpower, besides flying because they have bat wings, their special superpower is sitting real still for a long time. So people think you're a statue, which I, you can get paid money to do that. But uh, anyway, so they're really pissed off that their church is going to get burned or torn down. And they feel that it's a right to have the church. And they tried to scare everybody off by flapping their wings real hard and blowing all the construction equipment away which is physically impossible with four gargoyles with human sized wings to be blowing away construction equipment so they decide they're going to kill the phantom stranger and the architect guy because they don't want their secret to come out and, you know the phantom stranger you know who are you I am only a stranger and so they tie them into the the bell in the church and when when they open the bell, when the bells start ringing, they'll vibrate them to death. And they have this tab- tabern magic tabernacle, and they're going to open up the mo- magic tabernacle, which will make the bell, you know, ring at a frequency. To I don't know what the fuck it's supposed to do, but they open up their tabernacle. But just like the Ark of the Covenant, they're unrighteous in what they're doing. So what it instead does is heat the bell into melting slag, which pours down over the gargoyles. And even while they're, while they're tied up back to back inside the burning bell, um, this is, this is the dialogue between the guy, the architect and the phantom stranger architect. What, what's happening? We'll be cremated. Phantom stranger. Keep still. Don't move an inch. And above all, don't be afraid. The heat must be incredible, but I don't feel anything. And you won't. The gargoyles have brought this on themselves, and they'll suffer it by themselves. So, and then they actually, he actually makes some sort of explanation. This can't be real. How can this be happening? Why not? There's a thing called transubstantiation. The transformation of the mundane into the mystical. Meanwhile, the um, gargoyles are getting rained molten metal on a goid. And this reminds me of a movie I saw once where some, two with, people were tied up and so long as they didn't look at what was happening, oh, exactly. they were okay and the bad guys all got dead. And then at the hmm. e- very end of it there's a tag scene where they're removing the iron gargoyles out of the church as they're getting ready to tear it down going Wow, look at all these statues, incredibly lifelike. Let's put them on a gurney and put them in the back of a warehouse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fuck it. 
Fuck that yeah, Phantom I like Stranger. Phantom Stranger. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was not impressed with with most of the adventures they and, were, and these backup stories with him. They, 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 they're frankly like Whitman comics from the early '60s and stuff, where they just did, you know, <laughs> those sort of half-assed like horror comics that were meant for like six-year-olds. So meanwhile, they got the Swamp Thing that's trying to be all adult and and cutting edge. And I think that's, I think they're like, we got to do Swamp Thing, but we want to make it into something new. And I think that's how Alan Moore eventually got put on it. Which well, we're halfway I, I there. Well, living on a prayer. <laughs> Alan Moore will make it, I swear. You know, the, uh, uh, Next to the Swamp Thing story, which I did like a little better this time around, I think the coolest thing in this issue is on the inside front cover, you've got the uh, the M Network ad. I love that. Do you remember these M Network games? They, you know, for the 2600, these were actually some kick-ass games. They had some good stuff, yes. like Astro Blast. And, uh, yes. Yeah, they had some cool games for I'm that. trying to ah. remember. There was one of them that you had, and I can't remember what it was. It was really good. It was a tank battle game that was really good. It was a lot better than that shitty one that actually came with the 2600, because this one you could actually, like, bank shots and stuff like that. That one was cool. I've been paying special yeah, attention I, to the ads lately, and I and for some reason on this comic I really didn't pay any attention to, to the ads. Was it M Network that put out some of the Tron games that came out? I think out on that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm thinking Deadly Discs and. Uh, yeah, it may have been. Yeah, there was Deadly Discs, and then there was another one. What was it like, World of Tron or something like that? Yeah. Where you, you, you were in. It was almost like that game. Uh, what was the name of that game? Elevator or something like right. that. Where you had to go up and down levels and blast shit and all that. That yes. one was kind of lame, but the Disatron was a good game. I like that one. That was a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, I, my, I, I walked by my roommate's. I walked by my roommate's computer the other day, and he was watching somebody play Mountain King on YouTube. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty I funny. Used to love that well, that's about all I got on uh, this issue of the Swamp Thing. Well, cool. Let's take a little break, and we'll come back with the Walking Dead. Yes, brains. The Walking Dead. Okay, we're going to wrap this episode up with a uh, look at issue number 14 of The Walking Dead. This one's from uh, November 2004, written by Robert Kirkman, as usual. Penciler and inker is Charlie Adler, Cliff, Cliff Rathburn on the gray tones, and cover by Tony Moore. And we start the story, it uh, picks up exactly where it left off last, last issue. If you remember, uh, Rick and the gang, they uh, found this prison... And they went in and they kind of cleaned the place up and they were making their way through killing zombies and trying to, uh, you know, clean the place out. When they came to a door and they opened it and they walked in and there were four dudes sitting around a table that look up and ask them, hey, you want any meatloaf? And that's right where this one picks up. We've got Rick starting out saying, uh, yeah, we'd love some meatloaf. And uh, Tyrese is with him and he says, absolutely. Oh, man, he gets all excited. So they uh, they meet these four guys and they have a little conversation about you know how there's so much food there that you know it's just the four of them and the the prison is fully stocked for the entire prison population you know enough to last 
know, for weeks, but, you know, since it's only the four of them, and then, you know, Rick brings in his group, you know, there's plenty of food to go around for everybody. And one of the, uh, one of the guys says to Rick, you know, you guys don't look like a rescue team, at which point Rick, you know, basically lays out the story that, well, you know, they're just people like them, and they've been on the road, and, and uh, these guys want to know, you know, they've been locked up there for a while. They want to know, you know, well, how bad is it out there? And Rick relates everything that they've kind of gone through. And the guys have this shocked expression on their faces when suddenly Rick realizes these guys are not prison guards. They're prisoners. And when he comes to this realization and then everyone else does, Rick's wife pretty much freaks out and she wants to know you know okay if they're inmates what are they there for what crimes did they commit and we've got one guy that will come to know as axel he says armed robbery another guy um his name is thomas he says tax fraud but it wasn't his fault another guy um what's this guy's name's andrew who says that uh you know he was in there for drugs you know possession selling stealing the whole nine yards but he swears that he's clean now and then we've got Dexter, who is a, a really big, kind of tough-looking black guy. Uh, his, he uh, says he's in there for murder, yeah. but yeah. they don't have anything to... Kind of tough. He's got What's a that? skull and crossbones tattooed on the side of his head. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right, yeah. Yeah, he's he's pretty mean-looking yeah. dude. I mean, he looks like a no-nonsense kind of guy. Yeah. He says that they don't have anything to worry about from him, though, because, you know, un- unless they are his wife or her boyfriend which they can't be because they're dead, then, you know, they've got nothing to worry about, you know. So the implication is he murdered his wife and, and her wife, his wife's boyfriend, and that's why he's in there. Rick seems like he takes a pretty much immediate disliking to this guy. And there's a little jokey scene where uh, Andrew reveals that he feels that, like he's the one that caused the zombie outbreak by praying and and asking God, you know, if God would cure him of his drug addiction, you know, that that he would, you know, that he needed, he basically made a deal with God. He wanted God to help him get off the smack, he says. And then it was the very next day that the whole zombie thing broke out. So whether this is an attempt at humor or whether he's really serious, (laughs) this is what he reveals to the group. So Dexter goes off with Rick and, um, and Dale to explore the rest of the prison. Dexter shows them where the pantry is, and, you know, Rick can't believe how much food there is in this place. They explore several other areas. One of them is the gym, where they open the door, and they see that the gym is just completely overrun by zombies. And Rick and Dale immediately slam the door back shut, and they lock it with a pair of handcuffs, and they just says, you know, Rick just says, we'll deal with that later. And they continue on through and they check out the other areas of the prison. In the meantime, uh, we cut ahead a little bit in time to where everyone is kind of settling in for the night and picking, you know, what cells they're going to make into living quarters and stuff like that. And there's a conversation between Rick and um, Tyrese and Rick's wife where Rick decides that the human thing to do is to go back to Herschel's farm and invite all of them to come to the prison. You know, that there's more than enough room, there's more than enough food. Plus, Rick makes the point that eventually they may need Herschel. You know, Herschel's a farmer. And when, you know, eventually they're going to need to be able to know how to grow and cultivate their own food and things. And so they they need that expertise. There's more than enough land 
within the, the gated boundaries of the prison yard that they could actually create a sustainable society in there. They go back to, uh, Rick and Dale go back to Herschel's farm in the RV where they find Herschel and his group um, burning a pile of bodies, you know, zombie bodies. And the group tells Rick that the attacks have increased and, you know, with the weather now warming up and everything in spring coming on that, uh, you know, there's been that much more zombie activity. Rick lays out the whole thing about the prison and how he feels like, you know, everybody would be safer there, that it, it could actually be made livable. It's, it's a chance for a life. And surprisingly, Herschel pretty much readily agrees to this. So they pack everybody up in the RV and they go back to the prison. And we get a little bit of uh, exposition between Rick and uh, Tyrese again. And, uh, and also with Rick's wife, you know, where she again expresses her unease with the prisoners that are in there and all that. And Rick, you know, being the nice guy he is, says, you know, well, look, they were here first. I can't just kick these guys out. So I, I like that. I like that angle with Rick that, you know, even though these guys are prisoners, and I could see in, in another scenario, I could see somebody else be perfectly willing to throw these guys yeah, they're just, literally they're to just the criminals, wolves, you know? Yeah. Tough yeah, but, but Rick, you know, yeah. yeah, at this stage of his development, you know, Rick is, is more than willing to, you know, see the best in these guys and be willing to give them the chance, you know, to, to be integrated into their little group and all that. And, you know, we get a little playful banter with all these guys. We had a little scene between uh, Lori, Rick's wife, and, uh, and Carol just talking about her pregnancy and everything and them being worried about what's going on. And finally... Herschel and Rick make up, you know, Herschel actually admits to Rick that, you know, it was a really nice thing that he did, you know, coming there for the group and bringing them in, especially after the way that Herschel treated him and everything. And he actually confesses to Rick that he, at one point he was going to kill him. He was going to shoot him and he feels really badly about it. He says, he'll never touch a gun again and all this. And, uh, it's really a nice touching scene between the two of them. And, uh, you know, where they seem like they finally have bonded a little bit. Then we cut to a scene between a naked Chris and his girlfriend, who's Tyrese's daughter, where it's pretty, you know, pretty much implied that uh, they have just done the deed. And he asks her, basically, are you ready to do this? And she says she is. She thinks she's ready. Let's do it. And he says, okay, there's no backing down. This is it. We cut to Rick and Lori and Carl asleep in their room, and all of a sudden, blam, there's a gunshot. Rick jumps up. He tells him, stay here, but get your gun. He runs out. He tells the rest of the group that are starting to wake up from the gunshot, you know, stay here. I'm going to find out what's going on. He comes running around a corner, runs into the room where he finds Tyrese cradling his dead daughter, and he's crying and and just whimpering, no, 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 no. And Chris is holding a, you know, his gun and he's saying, you know, he's just saying to himself over and over again, it wasn't supposed to be like this. You know, we were supposed to do it together. You know, we were supposed to be together forever. And Tyrese has completely lost it. You know, you know, he's screaming at, at Chris, you know, what did you do to my little girl and all this? And you come to realize that what they were doing is it was a death pack. They were supposed to squeeze the triggers at the same time and kill each other. And 
evidently he was a little faster on the trigger or she just didn't pull the trigger or something, but she's dead and he's not. And Rick tries, you know, Tyrese is going on and on telling his daughter, please, baby, come back to me. You know, I don't care. Just, you know, I don't care how. Just come back, come back. And there's a really nice panel of Rick has a very sympathetic look on his face. And he's just trying to tell his friend, you know, she wasn't bitten. You know, she's not going to turn. You know, and you, you would you really want her to anyway? You don't want her to be one of those things. And Tyrese looks really scary in this part. He kind of wheels on Rick, and he's holding the gun in his hand, and he says, Shut up. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. She'll be back. She has to. And he no sooner gets the words out of his mouth than she comes back and lunges straight for his neck. And that's where the issue ends. And he looks like he's eating those words immediately. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's, he's got a look on his he's face. He's not like, glad she's saying, back. Ah, <laughs> yeah, the, the look on his face is, ah, shit, is what it is. You know, it's, it's, yeah, he's freaked right out because she has come back and she's zombified. Yep. She's going straight for the I juggling. think she's it's saying, really, gra, which is what usually zombies say, or some yeah. variation of it. <laughs> and wow, what a punch in the fucking gut. But uh, I'm not going to spoil anything, but wow, as much as a punch of the gut as this is, the next one is a real punch there's, of the gut. There's some, the, uh, the thing about the thing that's really kind of painful about not being able to spoil ahead is there's a lot of little foreshadows and hints of things to come in this oh, one yeah. that I never yes, picked up before the, reading it this time. And it was just like, oh, oh, okay. He was yeah. thinking of that way back is here. Some of- yeah, some of the things that are said, and some of the the character interactions, and yes. you know, particularly between certain people, some of it pays off immediately. Some of it pays off down the road, but all of it is painful. Yeah, all of it is really, really painful when you when you get little moments where people are are bonding or coming together or or expressing forgiveness or expressing love or whatever. And then knowing what's coming for them, you know, right around the corner is like, man, he just, you know, once again, it's, you know, with with the Kirkman ass kissing, but, you know, man, he just is so manipulating our feelings and yeah. emotions for these people that it's, it's, it's masterful. It really is. But, uh, yeah, I liked this issue a lot. You know, it's, it's weird because it's not one of those issues where where a lot really happens it, it's all it's it's a lot of character development but there's not a lot of story progression per se but where things start to go from here it really starts to i think this was the beginning of really starting to bring out who was who you know and, and yeah. who people really are because from here some of the characters you know, we, we really start to dig under their skin and find out, you know, who they really are. Some of them get tougher and stronger, and some of them just get fucking scarier. You know? Yeah. Be- because now they've, you know, they've, they've had something happen to them that, that mutates their character so far from, you know, normal civil human being, you know. And some of them... <laughs> don't have long for this world. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Some of them don't get a chance to be either scary or anything. So, yeah. Well, that's pretty much all I got on this one. What do you got? Um, just that it's, it's sort of one of those tricky ones where 
after last issue, it's sort of more of a procedural. It's like, okay, this plot de- development starting. They found the prisoners. You know, go back, get Herschel. But it's sort of like, okay, we're exploring our new territory. And then he does that classic Kirkman, just out of out of left field, end it with a punch to the gut, you know? Right. Where you, where mm-hmm. you don't expect one coming. And first of... Now, well, not the first, but, you know, there'll be many more of those <laughs> to come. Now, other than the occasional zombie boob or whatever, is this the first real nakedness we've seen in Walking Dead? I think so. But, you know, once again, Kirkman doesn't seem to shy away from any kind of thing except for, like, stuff that we don't want to see, like a character pooping. Which actually somebody brought up in one of the, you know, how do these guys go to the bathroom? I'd like to just see. He's just like, I haven't put that in the story because why should I? <laughs> right. You know, yeah. there's no real reason. If someone gets interrupted in the middle of going to the bathroom, okay. And I think there's been a few times where people have stopped and taken a piss where something has happened in the storyline or something. But, uh, right. yeah, he pretty much, he, he pulls no punches. He shows what happens, you know, and he makes it. Realistic. I could be wrong, but I don't think we ever see genitalia. But other than that, yeah, I, I agree that he doesn't ever pull any any punches at all. But uh, I could be wrong about that too, because now that I think about it, I think that there might be a, a, a wiener in our future down the road yeah, there's somewhere. A, there's see- probably a wiener in there. You know, he probably strays away from making the sex, you know, too. To- graphic because there's no point right. to it you know it's not that kind of comic anyway you know? oh no 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 but I the, mean, I, and I don't want to see that necessarily anyway but well I'm half just the saying, time in this comic if somebody's having sex it's they're getting horribly raped or you know some, some you know I don't know right. it's just not something that you'd probably want to see in gory detail it's not that he's explicit. It's just that he doesn't hold... If, if the two characters are going to be naked, he'll make them naked. He won't put them in their under... I hate when somebody's just had sex and they're laying around in their underwear. It's like, yeah, that's yeah. what I do right after I get uh, get done with sex is I put my underwear on to just cover up those parts that I was just rubbing together with the other person so they can't see them. What the fuck's up with that? No, you know. Yeah, I, I took my wife to see that movie uh, Knocked Up. Uh-huh. I had that hot blonde in it from one of those friggin' doctor shows. I forget which one. It was like, uh, I don't know. I can't remember now. But anyway, she, you know, and there's there's several sex scenes with her in that movie. And every time there's a sex scene with her, she keeps her bra on through the sex scene. And I'm yeah. like, what? If I was that dude, I'd get pissed. I'd be like, take that shit off. Yeah, what's the matter? Are they horribly deformed or something? Are you afraid, <laughs> you know? Are you... Wa- yeah, I, I, one of those- yeah, water wonder bra things, and she's actually flat as a pancake. Yeah, or are, you, are you a cop? Are you wired or something? And you don't want me to see your bug? <laughs> I, what's going on? You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's basically they want to maintain a PG thirteen. Hey, hold on there, Gramps. Don't don't die on us there. Ah, it's just goddamn cold, man. I'm getting over it though. I, at least I hope I am. <laughs> Jesus, my cat well, that's, is. That's all I got. What do you? Uh, yeah, that's that's that uh, that's about it for the. You know, I mean, the the obviously, you know, beautifully rendered, and like you, I really enjoyed the whole interaction between Herschel and Rick because 
I think what what you know it's it's interesting because I think what happened between Herschel and Rick affected the two of them more strongly than anybody around him really imagined. You know, because mm-hmm. that's one of the first thing that Rick thinks of is like we got to go back and get Herschel. You know. And Herschel was right. probably, probably just very surprised that Rick showed... You know, he was probably blown away that Rick would show up after. And Rick... And Herschel being a man of God has probably been... Has probably been just like the, the junkie guy praying and for guidance and stuff. And this might figure into what, you know, he's been praying for. That's why... Because I notice people who are like deeply, seriously religious like this. Like I knew a few old farmer guys sort of like this guy. And, you know, they, they serious, you know, they deeply and seriously think about everything. And, you know, Rick showing up might have been just like, ah, oh, this is the answer, you know, to my question. So I must, so they'll actually go and say, okay, I'll, that's makes, that, what he does is he goes, that makes a whole lot of sense. And then he says, okay, I'll do it. Right. And uh, I thought that was very well done. And I thought the, the the scene with the junkie who was like, this is all my fault because I prayed to God that I wanted to kick drugs and this was his way. That just like was this beautiful representation of like how self-centered, like the true, like really people with really bad drug problems are are like, you know, that, that he would think that God would wipe out the whole world. <laughs> just to get him off drugs, you know? Right. It's just this huge, it just shows this, belies this huge ego on this sort of little, you know, sort of humble guy. And uh, I like that. I thought that was a very nice way, you know, it shaded his character a lot with very little dialogue or anything. So once again, <laughs> good work, Kirkman. I just found out that Kirkman's just like 30, 31 years old, too. Or like, I think in the last issue, he's like, I'm just about to turn 30, so blah, blah, blah. It's like, holy shit. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter recently, and I wait was till, like, wow. Wait till this guy's our age, man. I can't imagine what he'll be writing then once he's really, <laughs> you know, his brain really... I, you, I, I heard scientists say your brain doesn't even really start gelling till the mid-twenties. So this guy's brain... Just, well, I guess his brain's been gelling around this, so keep on gelling, man. <laughs> I'm gelling. Uh, okay, yeah, maybe it is time to end this episode. <laughs> well, hey, join us next week when uh, we are going to oh, do yeah. our big, whopping special covering uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. So join us for that, because it should be a humdinger. I can't wait for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Two great movies that go great together. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com, where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. TwoTrueFreaks.Libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libson, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. 
you can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are now also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening to Two True Freaks. Say, uh...
Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U. Henry, it's just terrible. What's terrible, my dear? The papers these days are full of nothing but crime and violence. What is this country coming to, anyway? Now, don't you fret your little head about it, Mary. The police are handling things quite well. Quite well, indeed. Here's the story of another robbery committed by that awful plastic man. Plastic man again, eh? What a shame, Henry. Plastics in the hands of a great doctor like you can be so wonderful. You make plastic hearts, plastic arms, everything to help people live healthier, happier lives. That's a doctor's duty, my love. But that wicked plastic man, he makes the word plastic sound well. While this conversation was taking place on the east side of town, over at police headquarters on the west side... What a way to begin the day. Look at these newspapers. Every one of them screaming for our scalps unless we do something. Yeah, I know. Plastic man. He sure is a disappointment to me. You know, I could have sworn he was on the straight and narrow, but all these jobs he's the pulling... The thing that's bugging me is how can one man be in so many places at once? Now, what do you mean? Look at this map. Now, we know there was a job here and here and here and over here. So? Now, look at the time of the crimes. They all happen about the same time. And witnesses positively identified Plastic Man as a criminal in every one of these cases. Hey. Yeah. What gives? That's what I've been thinking. What gives? Plastic Man. You've got a nerve showing up here. You're under arrest. Hold it. Hold it, Smitty old buddy, old pal. Do you think I'd be stupid enough to walk in here like this if I were really back in the old racket again? Well, uh... uh... Oh. Well, that's better, Captain. Now, I figure some clown's been sending his gang out on jobs dressed up like me. Red suit, goggles, and all. Why the masquerade? To discredit me, make me look bad. He knows I've been the number one criminal catcher in the whole country since I reformed. But if he sends out a bunch of these characters at the same time, he's overplaying his hand. Now, you can't be everywhere at once. As far as the police are concerned, but that guy's gone to a lot of trouble to get me in trouble, and I got a feeling my troubles won't be over till we get him behind bars. Well, you got any ideas? Yeah, listen. This Jasper seems to have a taste for culture and all that jazz. Notice how the gang's been grabbing off priceless jewels and paintings at the homes of private collectors? I got a hunch they're going to go after something real big, like at the museum. Okay, I'll, I'll put a stake out around the place. No, I got a better idea. Plant a phony story in today's paper that the Hope Diamond is on display at the museum. I'll make myself into the display case in which the fake diamond will be placed. And when one of those fake plastic men reaches for the fake diamond... There won't be anything fake about the surprise he's going to get. And remember, get that story in. And now, late at night, inside the museum. Boy, I could think of more cheerful places to spend my nights than inside this gloomy old place disguised as a display case. <laughs> 2 a.m., nothing yet. Plastic man, old boy. Looks like your plan didn't work. Well, I'll be glad to get out of it, but wait. Somebody's coming. Yeah, there he is. Holy mackerel. He looks just like me. Plastic man. He's coming closer. Closer. Now when he opens the front 
panel of this display case to grab the diamond, and then I grab him and change back to my real form. Like so! Gotcha, you phony! Dr. Steel, Dr. Steel, Mayday! Ye guards, it's a robot! A robot plastic man! Mayday, Mayday, Dr. Steel! Oh boy, here comes more trouble. Four more, just like that one. Coming right at me! Destroy plastic man! Destroy! Destroy! And destroy! They look like they could destroy! Do it too. Destroy! I gave him a chance. But I'm changing myself into a strong rope. And now I'm gonna tie all five of them up into one nice tight package. Got him! Well, now what? All that's coming from out of them. It's a directional signal. And we're moving. Like a robot plane. We're heading for the east side of town. Right for that house. The sign reads, hmm, Dr. Henry Steele. And we're going right in. Why, it's a laboratory. And that gentle-looking little guy, can he be behind all this? Fools, fools, you were ordered to destroy Plastic Man, and you have failed. And so have you, Doctor. Plastic Man in the form of a rope. All the better to tie you up with, my good Doctor, with the rest of your little friends like this. Let me go! Let me go, I say! Of course, Doctor, of course. When the police arrive. The police? They've been following me every minute, hoping your fake plastic men would lead us to you. And here they come. Okay, okay, don't move. Nobody. They could move if they wanted to. Put the cuffs on them all, Sergeant. That's it. And now back to my own self. Well, I'll be switched. What I don't understand, Doctor, is why a great surgeon like you would get involved in a mess like this. I'm the greatest creator of all. I created hearts of plastic, arms and legs of plastic, whole men of plastic. Then why did you want me, the real plastic man, destroyed? I was going to create a whole army of plastic men and rule the world. You were the only one who could stop the invasion of the plastic men. Henry, Henry, what are all these people doing here? And what are you doing with those silly handcuffs on? I'm afraid it's a long story, ma'am. The plastic men are coming. <laughs> and I, Henry Steele, shall rule the world. <laughs> Henry, oh my goodness. <laughs> You'll see, the plastic men are coming. They're coming. <laughs> plastic man.